Welcome to the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. I'm Danny Horn. Thank you for joining us. On this podcast, we talk about pivotal moments in superhero movie history. Today, we are discussing the other franchise about Teenage Mutants, 2003's X2 X-Men United. Now, I know you've got a short attention span. We all do. It's how we live now. So I'm using the Sid Field 3X structure to break up the episode. This is Act 1 of X2 X-Men United, and then I'll be releasing Act 2 and Act 3 later on in the week. All right, now I want to introduce my guest. Joining me today from the Retro Video Games podcast, Retronauts, it's Stuart Jip. Stuart, hello. 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 How are you? I'm, oh. I'm here. I'm, we're not talking about retro games, so I'm absolutely <laughs> uh, out of my element, but I'm here. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, Retronauts, it's a it's a great podcast. It's not just you. It's like a whole team of people. Yeah, there's 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 some other people involved, to, you know, but... But yours, like, obviously... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. You don't want to say that because it's a bit arrogant. But <laughs> you know, if you're going to listen to one of the hosts, then yeah. I would strongly advise it to be me. Yeah. I mean, the other hosts are fine, but you know, the spark, <laughs> the spark's just not there. Yeah, I totally agree. That's all I've been. That's all I've been listening to. How long have you been doing Retronauts? God, I don't even remember. Um, I mean, I've been doing, I've been doing stuff like in terms of writing for about uh, four or five years, but. Mm. Uh, I've been guesting on the podcast a little while, and then relatively recently, I was asked if I wanted to sort of host episodes as well. Nice. And uh, I was like, "Are you sure? Because that means there will be a Zool episode that's going to be <laughs> happening." And and Jeremy Parrish was like, "I've come to terms with the things <laughs> that, that you, you will do." Yeah. And uh, yeah, so since then, it's been a it's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I've got to sort of indulge myself and do like the Sonic Three and Knuckles for absolutely ages and ages and ages and ages. Yeah, you've you've been doing several like very deep dives into that game. Yeah, I really like the Popeye episode that you did a little oh, while thanks. ago with Dave Bulmer. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. I'm I'm a fan of Popeye, but I never played those games, so it, it was really fun yeah. to have you like going through the game in amazing detail and being like funny, and then also teaching me about those games. Well, I'm really delighted that you're here with me today. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Backstory for the movie. Uh, first X-Men movie was made in 2000. It made $157 million, and it got people to believe that superhero movies were worthwhile again. So inevitable that they would do a sequel three years later. Mm. As with all X-Men films, the production story is mostly about which characters to include and which ones were too expensive. In this case, the surprise was Nightcrawler made it into the movie because he was very much too expensive for the first film. But the first film's such a hit, they got to splurge on a big, uh, exciting Nightcrawler sequence. This time they did cut Beast and they cut Angel, as well as the Sentinels and the Danger Room. A production crew had already constructed the Danger Room set when they decided <laughs> to cut it. Films inspired by the 1982 graphic novel God Loves, Man Kills, in which yeah, very, the, very loosely inspired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got like the Reverend William Stryker leading an anti-mutant hate group, and they have to team up with Magneto to save Professor mm -hmm. Xavier. And that little synopsis is basically all that they took. Yeah, it's it's really not like that at all. It's it's, it's almost like there's just the guy Stryker, and that's almost it. Like, yes, and exactly. Night, Nightcrawler is there also, and even his pr presence is nothing like the. Yeah, good at all. Though I don't mean that in a sort of like they botched it kind of way, you know. It's no, just, that's it's how you different. that's how you do it. You take inspiration. Can yeah. I, I wanted to know you said the first movie made 157 million dollars. Like nowadays, if if it didn't make that much in a weekend, it would like be written off. It's <laughs> right. like, that's a pathetic amount of money compared to um, modern like takings for stuff like MCU. You know, 
it was very exciting for them. Yeah. That yeah. was num- that was uh I'll do the numbers a little bit. Like that's uh that was number eight for the year in wow. 2000, the original film. And then three years later, uh, this X2 made 215 million domestic box office. And that wow. got to number six for the year. Right. Wow. Yeah. Deserved. It's a good movie. Yeah. It did real well with the critics. It got 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a few points mm-hmm. improvement on X-Men. So yeah, people really liked it. It's a, I mean, it's a big step up. It's a big step up yeah. for X-Men. And I like X-Men as well. I, like, I, I think it's funny. But uh, yeah, this is just like... It's also kind of interesting how much of the movie takes place essentially in one location, which mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not exactly a globe trotting adventure. It's pretty much just yeah, no, like, the whole the whole act three they go yeah. underground, yeah. Because I remember when I was watching it again the other day, uh, I was thinking, oh, there are oh, there are Alkali Lake. The movie's nearly over, and it's like, oh no, it's not. <laughs> this, this, they're they're, they're going to be here for a long, long, long time. Yeah, uh, like the the movie kind of ends, and then it just keeps going for like twenty more minutes. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, that's not you know it, it it feels a little bit but like pulled out of its ass a little bit the mm-hmm. whole kind of like the whole sacrifice at the end is kind of arbitrary sorry i spoiled the yeah. movie for, for, <laughs> the, for the listeners sorry listeners the spoiling x2 x-men united as you call it in the uk it's just called x-men 2 because we're sensible oh, if it right? was called x-men united everyone would think it was a football team or something you can't <laughs> be having that well let's get into act one yeah Film opens, as always, with Charles Xavier just whining about evolution and mm. how mean people are to mutants. He's obsessed with it. He's obsessed yeah. with it. Move on, man. Move on, man. <laughs> and he, his complaint is, uh, are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain or simply a new species of humanity fighting for mm. their share of the world? Either way, it is a historical fact. Sharing the world. Fact. It is an historical fact. He very, uh, pro- 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 he very prominently says... It is an his, an historical fact. I'm like, what, mate? What? I was I was trying to I was trying to blow past that because I no. I didn't think I could pull it off. It can't yes, be blown. Right. We can't yeah. blow past an historical <laughs> fact. It's a very classic moment in cinema. Yes. Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. So apparently, right. we are not sharing things enough for Captain Picard. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. <laughs> He's a very wise, bald man. He really is. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should be sharing more. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should. But I mean, the, the way the way I see it, the X Men, you know, obviously the X Men is like kind of an allegory for like, um, and this is not supposed to be a revelation. It's just an allegory for any kind of yeah. many things, you know, gay rights, etc., etc., etc. But the thing is, the difference is that the X Men have got like spikes for hands and like laser eyes, <laughs> and it's like they could kill you by like breathing on you. So yes. you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I mean no disrespect. Just, just keep him away from me. Like, I, 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 no, no problem with X Men. But if, if you're a human being of some sort and your breath will cause me to die instantly, <laughs> right? I'm actually fine with you being kept away. Like, that's okay. And they're super reckless too. They, yeah, will, they, they, they don't care. Yeah. They will basically go and do whatever they feel like doing. We're gonna see that. I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not racist against the X Men, but like, mm-hmm. kind of a bit racist against the X Men. Like, maybe. I mean, the, uh, there's a big problem is that that you know they're comic book characters, and so therefore all of their powers are fighting powers. Yeah, we don't usually get like you know uh, yeah. li- librarian mutant like a mutant who's really good at like helping people cross the street. Yeah, yeah that that would be cool. They could call themselves Lollipop Lady. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, you do get that neat little scene in X two where Iceman chills uh, mm-hmm. where Wolverine's beer for him. I always, yes. oh, it's soda, sorry, it's not a beer, is it? It's like a, yeah. a Coke or something. Mm-hmm. I always liked that little scene, because whenever I see that, I always think to myself, 
God, I wish I had that power. Of all the powers, <laughs> right. I wish I was amazing. Iceman. Yeah. I would never build like a shitty ice bridge and go surfing on it while <laughs> like he does, but I would just chill people's drinks and everyone would love me. Well, the movie starts with a tour of the White House, and we see the President of the United States in the Oval Office, and then one of the extremely suspiciously dressed tour group. He breaks away. He starts bamfing around. He's got like a long mm. coat and a hat and sunglasses, and also he has a big blue devil's tail. Yeah, that's a big giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, there's opera music. He's starting to mess around and jump all over the place. What do you think of Nightcrawler here? It's great. Like I, I really love this. I think they nailed bamf sound effect yeah. as well. It's perfect. Um. It's cute. It's quite funny. The scene where he's teleporting around on that one guy is just like multiple suspects. It's really <laughs> yes. like it's really yeah. funny. It's so much fun to to just look at him like this crazy cartoon animal that yeah. just gets like more and more blue. And it's it's hard to say whether he has a plan or if he's just kind of goofing around. <laughs> but they the president gets all spooked and they're trying to get the president to a secure location, but nothing is secure here. No, not with a teleporting momentum demon popping all over the place. Everybody's shooting guns. Guns are no match for acrobatics and proof powers. So, like, it's true. You can see right away they decide to spend some money on this. Yeah. And just give Nightcrawler this big computery opening with CGI smoke all over the place, which I think looks great every time mm-hmm. he, he disappears. Uh, he ends up on top of the president, and it looks like he's going to kill the president with a big knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But somebody shoots him in the back like a coward, and he disappears. Yeah, he gets sort of he gets sort of grazed, doesn't he? It's like across the top left shoulder or something, and then he's like, "Oh wait, what am I doing? My one weakness, bullets." <laughs> and uh, and we see that his knife has a, a message on it, which says "Mutant Freedom Now." It doesn't. Mm. This doesn't totally connect to that much in the movie. Like no. they try later on to kind of explain why Nightcrawler's here, but that is vague at best. It's a very like they just wanted to do the cool Oval mm-hmm. Office scene, and and then they thought, okay, how can we uh, make this actually make sense? Yeah. Because the extent to which he's being controlled is very, uh, it's it's not actually that clear even within the rest of the movie. But I, but I assume it's Jason who's doing it. It's Striker's like they use. Uh, he's got the little neck port where Striker oh, yes. puts his little hypnotic neck juice in. Yeah, so... Never, not really explained. Not really explained. Yeah, at all. no, yeah. and then definitely like. He does this one thing, and then he just kind of gets away, runs away, and Stryker does not notice. There are a lot of plot threads in this movie that we're going to see where, like, there's so much in the movie. They don't have time to do We're going to pull on those threads. To follow all of these plot threads. Yeah, so that's one of them right there. We show up at Alkali Lake in probably Alberta somewhere. Big industrial complex covered in snow and ice. It looks abandoned. Apparently, Arendelle is just closed today. Mm-hmm. And Wolverine's wandering through the woods, smoking a cigar, looking for clues to his past. It's very pretty. His hair looks really big and silly. <laughs> looking for clues, just wandering through the forest with some binoculars. Like, oh, I wonder if I'll find a clue to my past this way. Yeah. Nope, just more trees. Oh boy. And it's a little, it's a little embarrassing for him that it turns out there is a complex here. Like, there's at least a couple dozen people below the ground. Mm. And they must get food supply at some point. Like, people must be going in and out. And Wolverine... Yeah, there's like a taco truck parked up somewhere. <laughs> and he just completely missed it. Yeah. But it kind of, like, it's a big deal that he can smell. Like, he tracks things by smell. But he's walking yeah. around and he's smoking a cigar. So... Mm-hmm. That's got to be clouding his judgment. Not to mention so. giving him lung cancer, you know. <laughs> Do you think he would just heal it, like, if he got lung cancer? 
Oh yeah, no, I think he's probably healing yeah. it all the time. Yeah, that's kind of a a constant thing happening in his. In that's his kind own. of badass, to be honest. Yeah, it is. Yeah, cool. yeah. Next, we're gonna go to a, a natural history museum, and oh, there's nice. Halle Berry. Oh, sorry, you've been in the movie. Okay, all right. That's What's that? Story. Oh yeah, no, you and me, no. No, no but, okay, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. But Storm's there, and oh, she is lecturing a bunch of kids about evolution as if they mm. ever talk about anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's all that the that's all that gene that's all the school is. It's just like the same speech about evolution over and over. <laughs> right. Again. Yeah. Even when you're like you're playing basketball or something, you're playing basketball, and then Charles rolls in, and everyone's like, "Oh, for God's sake, like, <laughs> he's going to evolution is a <laughs> shut up." <laughs> yeah. We know Charles. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. And uh, and that's why Scott and Gene are kind of just hanging out. They're not really paying attention to to any of this evolution stuff. No, no. I, I, Scott, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a big Cyclops fan. I love Cyclops. I'm, I'm the guy who likes Cyclops. Okay. Yeah. But I think that the X Men Fox movies do him some real dirt. Like he's only in the first one remotely acceptably amount of time. I think. Yeah. And in the second one, he's like gone for the entire for second act, pretty yeah. much, and most yeah. of the third act. And then in the third movie, we all know what happens to him in the third movie, and it right. sucks. <laughs> and I really hope that when the X Men turn up in the MCU, they actually have a decent Cyclops in it. Well, Jean is upset. She says that she feels like something terrible is about to happen, and she is correct. Something terrible is about to happen. It is the food court scene, which oh, I have yeah. some problems Jesus. with. Yeah, museum yeah. food court. It's like a teen hangout area, and we see Bobby uh, and Rogue and John. So Bobby's Iceman, John is mm. Pyro, and Rogue is just Rogue. Basically, being obnoxious mall kids. Yeah, there's these two mean teens who are asking Pyro if he can have a light, and Pyro's just being a dick and showing off the fact that he has a lighter mm-hmm. and kind of giggling about it. There's a lot of weird eye play going on. The guy steals Pyro's lighter and lights his cigarette, and Pyro considers that an act of war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes his sleeve catch on fire. Guy falls down. Pyro is just delighted. I am. I'm in love with Pyro in this movie. Mm. Uh, he's my favorite. And Bobby shoots some ice to put the fire out, and then. Another one of those ridiculously reckless schemes they come up with. Everybody freezes in place. Mm. The museum comes to a complete stop and the three X teens are looking around. They're all confused. This goes on for a very long time. And then Professor Xavier is just there. Um, Yeah. He has done this incredibly stupid thing of making everybody freeze in place, and then he just he's in the food court. He'd just gone and had like yeah some tater tots or something, and now he's here. He's like, I have just I have finished my t- I have finished my tater tots, <laughs> and I am annoyed by you and what uh, you're uh, doing. This is the yeah. best way I can think of it for solving this situation. Yes. He says, the next time you feel like showing off, don't. Mm. This is not well, how after you teach doing them that, that. After yeah. freezing everyone in the yeah yeah yeah, you're gonna make hundreds of people lose time, mm-hmm. and people in the food court are gonna notice that you all disappeared. So I don't know what he thinks he's tra- he's teaching them at all. It's a truly inept way of resolving the situation when the correct way to do it would be simply to kill the children and, <laughs> and hide their bodies, you know? Yeah. And then we are in the Oval Office with the president and the beginning of the vaguely baffling plot. Uh, there's William Stryker, who it is hard to know exactly who he is, besides Logan Roy from Succession. <laughs> um, he wants authorization from the president for like a special operation. And the president's response is, I thought you were here to talk about school reform, which what? given what we find out about him. Yeah, it's they introduce him in a very strange way. I think um, that's quite funny that he's like, 
Uh, yeah, I need to talk to the president about score reform. Okay, right now that I'm here, I want to kill the mutants. And the president's <laughs> right. like, hold on a second, you you got in here on the basis that you want to talk about something else, and now you are pushing this issue. Like, you know what? I'm going to allow this this <laughs> time. I'm fine yes. with it. I'm actually fine with it. The fact that you talk to me like in the most ridiculously melodramatic terms ever, like you've just <laughs> walked out of like a Shakespearean yeah tragedy or something. Everything William Stryker says in this movie is just like unbelievably bizarre. Yes. And that's why he's great. Yeah, he's what always like antagonistic towards everybody that he talks to. He's in a bad mood quite a bit. He's all, yeah, he's even in even in situations where it would be incredibly self-preservationist <laughs> not to be a dick. Yeah. He still has to be a dick. It's like in his blood. If he was like, I don't know, hanging by his fingers on the edge of a cliff, <laughs> like and someone walked up and they were like, "Oh my God, do you want me to pull you up?" He would. Yeah. He would just say something. He would be like, "God, I don't even know." He'd be like, "Just uh, did the universe pull you up?" <laughs> and he'd be like, "What the fuck?" I, are you I talking think he about, would William actually. Stryker? He would. He would attack you directly. That is yeah, the thing I, that yeah, he does yeah. in Act Three when his life is very much in danger. He does not stop insulting people. So definitely, whatever he had on the person on you, if you're there at the cliff top, yeah, he would definitely be talking himself out of a rescue. And that is that's what he does here. Senator Kelly from the first movie just kind of like strolls in, as people so often do in the Oval Office. The president introduces Stryker and says his department has been dealing with the mutant phenomenon since before my time. And I don't it's the thing I don't understand is like, what department is that Mm. that you are a part of? I would be interested to know. And here's so here's Senator Kelly, as we know from the first movie, this is Mystique. This is a shape shifting mutant who yeah. took over Kelly's life at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, he was primary sponsor, advocate for the Mutant Registration Act, which the mutants are all unhappy with. And Kelly died. This is kind of another strange, reckless thing. Kelly died in the first movie, and Mystique yeah, took his melted. place at the end. Yeah. Mystique took his place, and we see at the end of the movie that fake Kelly is is on the news talking smack about the Mutant Registration Act and saying that he's, mm. he's changed his mind. I have a question about this. How yes. has Mystique been keeping this up, this impersonation? Because presumably um, he's got a family and friends and a staff. How long has she just been living Kelly's life? I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't that interesting of a guy. You know, maybe he was just a pretty plain guy. <laughs> All he needs to do is walk in and say, good morning, staff. It is me, Senator <laughs> Kelly. I didn't turn into water and die. <laughs> right. I'm alive, as you can see. I am not a, a creepy pale uh, slug. Yeah. I yeah. would like a, a cup of coffee. Now, <laughs> on a, a completely unrelated note, Rebecca Romain, isn't she gorgeous? What a beautiful and talented actress. Very intelligent. <laughs> and and everyone's like, why are you talking about Rebecca Romain? Like, what does that got to do with anything, Senator Kelly? And he's like, she's like, no reason. I just thought I'd mention it. I just think she's really talented. <laughs> That's all. And now I'm going into my office to... Um, to play chips challenge and every time anyone comes over i'm gonna tab out to some work and no one will know any <laughs> no one will be any the wiser uh because i am a senator and i don't do anything any real work it's a bit of satire for you folks just uh if you're keeping up yeah and then lady deathstrike meanwhile just outside the oval office like sitting there in the anteroom is eureka lady deathstrike mm. who is a mutant supervillain who somehow is working for striker for like the most anti-mutant person that there is i find her utterly baffling yeah lady death strike is not a character i'm actually that familiar with at all and and i just know her from this movie really yeah and i just know her as like the lady with the claws who turn who turns up 
and who cracks her knuckles a lot. This yes. is a very it's a it's a strange moment. Like she's sitting there, like just cracking all of her knuckles, which apparently she has a lot. It's a very long lot extra process. knuckles, lots and yeah. lots of knuckles. She has yeah. kind of like infinite number. So I have I have questions about mm. this. Like A, why would Striker employ a mutant in the first place? B, yeah. why does he need to be followed around by this mutant killing machine? Mm. And C, why would he choose someone who is so visibly weird that obviously people are gonna ask questions about who she is? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just a power. Maybe it's just a power thing. Maybe he's just kind it's of like swinging a dick, you know. Yeah. yeah. Striker's upset because there's a mutant training facility in upstate New York. Kelly says that this facility they're talking about is a school. Stryker says, no, it's got a jet coming out of the basketball court. And the president just tells Stryker, okay, go ahead. Like, just enter and detain everyone there. Question them. But we don't need the body of a a mutant kid on the news. And Stryker absolutely wants that. He he is so excited about hurting children. He just can't wait to get there. Yeah, but what do we do? We don't want the body of a mutant kid. And he's like, gotcha, body of a mutant kid. Let's go. <laughs> right, yeah, that's wait, all I heard. Wait yeah. a second. <laughs> and you know, there is a, he does get the body of a mutant kid, doesn't he? He does. He gets he, like slot, six he of them. Slots, yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah, he's, he's a dick. <laughs> I guess the thing that he's really taking seriously in that sentence is just on the news. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. fine. He's not on the news. He's buried in my weird secret lab. There's an interesting question here, which I would be interested in, that the movie gestures at but doesn't really engage with, which is how the politics around mutants are actually playing out in the United States. Like, who's against them and who's in favor of them? Because it feels like we either get the Mutant Registration Act, which they consider basically imprisoning them, or we're just do nothing at all. And there's one thing we, we do see, like one example Later in the film, we see Bobby coming out to his parents and basically getting rejected. Yeah. I think it would be interesting if we saw, in addition to that, like an out mutant somewhere. Like, are there other ones? There are a lot of them. Is there one that's like actually out to their family and friends and and they actually are accepted and they're just part of the world? I don't know. I mean, it it feels like rejecting someone for being able to chill your drink is kind of... um... Yeah, crazy exactly. to me. Like, I would yeah. want them to be my. I want them to be my friend at all costs. I want to be with <laughs> them constantly. I would. I would love to see something like that, where like people are actually happy and excited, just yeah. to just to dramatize like that this civil rights story that they're doing. We don't really see a reason why a human being would actually want to agree and like advocate for their rights. Yeah. So that feels missing to me. I guess it's the distinction between like I can chill your drink for you. That's my mutant power, right? And the people who are like I vomit enormous amounts <laughs> of acid that just burn through anything almost instantly, <laughs> right. uh, and it happens uncontrollably every twenty-two seconds. And there's nothing I can do about it to turn it off or aim it. You know, if you're near me, you'll probably die. And if you try to do anything to contain me, it will just get worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, it will be the most prolonged, painful death imaginable. <laughs> Please allow me to integrate to society. Right. Please. We get to go to the school. Uh, we get to see some mutants yes. recreating in the recreation room. Welcome to the yeah. academy. Uh, yeah, until Xavier rolls in and starts talking about evolution again. <laughs> Colossus is there, which is exciting. It's, I think it's funny to have like a background Colossus. Um, yeah. Who's, he's just in a couple of scenes, but I like seeing him. Bobby's trying to kiss Rogue. She's pulling away because Rogue, if you touch her, can uh, melt your face off, take all your power, and kill you, mm. basically. I, al- I always disliked that because it's like, 
It just seems like a step, honestly. Like we've all, I, I've been a teenager, and I, you know, and I've been horny too. I'm not <laughs> yeah. afraid to admit it. But it's like, okay, right. My whole power, like the only thing that happens is if yeah. you touch my skin, you get very badly, painfully, like injured. Yeah. Yep. And he's like, "No, nah, I'll be fine. Let me fuck you. It'll be fine." And no, it right. won't. Yeah. But no, listen. it turns out it turns out she is actually correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be fine. You know. So what you're trying to do is insane because, as I have explained, <laughs> there really is only one outcome for this. And he's like, "No, no, no, no. Look, I've got a hard dick. I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> right. We'll see what happens. Like, no, no, no. Please listen." Like, please, <laughs> again, I'm only going to say this one more time. I actually, for, you know, for a teenage boy and possibly for any male, once he's got that hard dick, like that, mm. it occurs to me now that that is the most realistic thing in the movie. And uh, and Wolverine comes back. He returns mm. from his pointless little trip to Alkali Lake. Rogue runs to him. They have a relationship from the first movie and they have like a, just a nice little reunion moment. It's hard to say, except for the fact that she was in the first movie. It's hard to say what Rogue is actually offering here. Yeah, she's badly underwritten. She has like nothing to do in this movie. Yeah, it's, she uses her power yeah. once, which is, and she yeah. does it in a decent way. Like, yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. She uses her powers in the first movie, I think three times mm-hmm. to destructive effect every time. Yeah. So she does actually get a moment where like it's a useful thing to do. So, so that's one thing about this movie. Another thing about this movie I like is yeah. that really everyone does get their moment to shine. Yes. Yeah. They don't forget anyone, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, except Cyclops he doesn't really get to do anything. But, yeah. Oh, he gets he gets some uh, he gets a couple of good shots in. Right, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no, he also loses those fights. And then Storm comes down the stairs, and here is Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. There were some late rewrites to this movie to beef up Halle Berry's role because she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for Monsters Ball in 2001. And she won three months before filming began. So they did some sort of hurried rewrites to to make sure that she has a bigger part in the film. Yeah. And I have a a theory that that actually caused a problem at the end of the movie, but we're going to talk about that when we get there. Yes, yes, we will. Then Jean comes downstairs and we get some nice eye contact with Wolverine and Jean. This is yet another story thread, which will get a little bit of development here. And Hugh Jackman is just super cute when he's talking to her. Uh, It's interesting because I remembered Wolverine as being really, really quite brusque and gruff. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of not. He's already just kind of like your uncle. Like, he's just a nice kind of dude. And uh when he's angry, he's angry. When he's violent, he's scary. But most yeah. of the time, he's just kind of like this slightly grumpy, affable fellow. Yes. And it's quite funny. Eric's in a plastic box. Yes. Sitting somewhere in the world. He's, in, he's like an action figure. In limbo. Yes. He is in a plastic prison so that so that Magneto cannot use his magnetism on anything. This is where we see the weird shunt that's in the back of his neck. Yeah. In the back of Magneto's neck that Stryker has installed there so that he can use this like acid truth serum hypnotoad neck juice. Yeah. And so I guess Stryker is in charge of this place. He's sort of he's in charge of a lot of he's just in charge of whatever he feels like. And you got Magneto like reading his book, which is called like How to Escape from a Plastic Prison <laughs> or something. It's yes. like really on the nose. Wolverine wants more answers about his past. Xavier's not really helping him out. He promised that he was going to help Wolverine figure out what happened and and to cure his amnesia. But the mind isn't a box. It's a beehive. That's basically the only answer he has for for Wolverine. 
Wolverine, your mind is full of bees. Like yes. what? <laughs> so, well, what did you say? Sorry, Professor, what does that mean? That's drivel. Yeah, it's a beehive. Say again? Like, can you please elucidate? <laughs> can you please be more clear about this? Because it sounded like you just said my mind was a beehive. What part of your mind is a beehive do you not understand, Wolverine? Yeah, it's it, it's like Wolverine. This is a very basic concept yes. that even a, even even a child would understand. For you see, evolution, yeah. evolution, <laughs> right. Wolverine, it's like a beehive. Sorry, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea now. No, I agree. I love it. Just uh, Charles Xavier saying nonsense and everyone just not understanding. Yes, just kind of like creating metaphors that he feels good about. And everyone, but he never, no one ever challenges him because he's like got tenure. Oh yeah, no, he has a big deep voice. Yeah. Mystique gets into Stryker's office. This is an odd scene. Stryker's office is in some dark, empty place. Uh, looks like kind of an open plan office. Not sure. There's <laughs> some random ass office here. You'd think he would have a nicer office. What's going? Yeah, you would think so. And I don't know if this is like his underground lair or what this is. But we see Senator Kelly turning, you know, Mystique turning into yeah. Lady Deathstrike, uh, getting into Stryker's office and using Stryker's voice to hack into uh, to his computer. Mystique is unbelievably competent in this yes. movie. She's amazing. She, I think, is my favorite character here because she could do anything yeah. with, her, with her transformations. And even when she's in her regular self, she can kick ass. She can do anything. Yeah, she's the... I mean, when I said that you'd want the Iceman powers, no, you'd want the Mystique powers. The Mystique powers, powers the, totally. Yeah. That's the power you want, and you want to just turn into someone and just remain that person forever, basically. <laughs> but the idea that you could just completely change your appearance at any time is very, very, very appealing. Yeah, for me too, yeah. Especially we, when you're bald. I guess like we've me. both gotten to that to that stage of our lives where that's where that seems super appealing. All I would do is keep everything exactly the same, except just not be bald, just like get some <laughs> right. hair. Bit more hair, that's all I ask for. Mystique finds the Cerebro folder. I'm just going back to this plot point. I don't even know yeah, why. Yeah. Uh, where she has to, like, she just prints out a lot of paper. Oh, this scene's hilarious. Where they're tense, the tension in, like, her pre using a printer. Yeah, this printer is it's all. Uh, yeah, this is very, I mean, this is extremely funny. Like, even at the time, I think this is quite bad. Yeah. I don't, I don't dislike this scene. It's just there is something kind of unbelievably silly about it. Well, a thing that I don't understand is Lady Deathstrike comes in. Yeah. And this is her office, apparently. And Mystique yeah, has, she to, also has to go has and hide. To, she also works with, with William Stryker in the office. Yeah. yeah so does does she type on computers with her big crazy I mean, yeah, claw she fingers? must be amazing at touch typing with those, with those yeah. fingers. She's probably got a specially made keyboard or something. She's here because she's got to get some stuff out of her desk drawer, in, including the plastic gun that she uses later on. <sighs> So why she has a cubicle in an open plan office, I do not know. So yeah, so then the capper is that uh, Mystique turns into the janitor and manages to escape with the papers. And uh, and then down the hall, the janitor sees himself walk out. So apparently yeah. it is okay to give the janitor existential headaches. We got to go meet Nightcrawler. Yes. He is in this abandoned church, which I don't know if that's a thing that exists. Abandoned churches. This gorgeous stained glass windows but it's just full of pigeons yeah yeah it's possible this is a church that serves the pigeon community nightcrawl is teleporting around talking to them in german he's kind of he's freaked out and is doing the most rather than hiding he's doing the noisiest thing he knows how to do mm. and storm in order to get him to come down and talk to them shoots the little perch that he's on with a lightning bolt 
That's that's fucked up. Why don't you just like give him some money or something? <laughs> yeah, no, they don't believe in in persuasion. Yeah, they just are gonna pull out whatever their powers are. But he's such a cutie. He is. He's a sweetheart. He comes down and and he's all he's upside down. He's like, I didn't mean to harm anyone. Oh, I am just a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he is, and that's what he plays through the whole movie. He's so cute. Uh, yeah, he yeah. he is a and and it's so great that they managed to to make him that way because he is a, a terrifying devil monster well nightcrawler is the favorite mutant of everyone with any, with any taste basically yeah. that's my that's my opinion everyone loves nightcrawler and they're right to love nightcrawler tell me why um because he's because he's a blue dude right that's all you need yep. to know yeah he's a blue guy who like can teleport and he's like also a swashbuckler, and and he's horny as shit. Like, of course, he's everyone's favorite mutant, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, of course he is. Do you think that that carries through in the movie? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I he's like cute, him but in, the, in, in a I, different I, way. I do, I do like him in the movie, but I don't yeah. think that they quite nail. He doesn't. If what you're talking about is like an attitude that the, yeah. that the real Nightcrawler has, no, I, I, I mean, I mean, like obviously, I mean, no, like, yeah. it's, they've done a good job. Yeah, they have done a good job. It's just he's not quite like he is in the comics to me. He's got these tattoos on, and Storm is once once they've got him down on the ground, and they're actually talking to him. They ask him about the tattoos, and he says that he mm. did it himself. So that's another mutant skill that they yeah. don't really acknowledge. Is Being that able you to can tattoo yourself. tattoo your own face? Yeah, that that's is not wild. easy. Yeah, no, it's not. I tried, and I'm horribly disfigured for life. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you should have asked me. I would have told you. No, no, it's okay. I, I had to find out the hard way. You know. <laughs> right. That's just yet another example of why you need those mystique powers. Well, I wanted to get like a cool like um, yeah. heart like on my face, <laughs> you know. And I, I started getting the heart and I got it wrong. So I had to cross it out. What'd so you, I had to tattoo a big cross with? over it. Well, I tattooed the big cross over it and like that wasn't working either. So I tried it again and I had to tattoo another cross sort of a different direction long story short i've got a massive swastika on my face now my <laughs> life is ruined uh it's bad like it's awful it's ruined my life people are really mean to me now you're just gonna have to work remote and i have to explain to them no you don't understand i'm not a nazi <laughs> i did this accidentally to my own face <laughs> and nobody nobody listens they're like no shoot i don't believe you it's absurd to, su- to suggest that you accidentally tattooed a swastika on your own face and I say, I was as surprised as you are. <laughs> I am living proof that that can happen. Because yeah, here I, I am. I hate the Nazis. I would, I would never knowingly tattoo a swastika on my face. I'm disgusted that you suggest otherwise. Did you, did you consider tattooing the explanation as well? Yeah, I did. On I did the tattoo the explanation. Oh, I did, yeah. but it's so long, right? That and it's so small letters that nobody can be bothered to read it. They see it and they just immediately judge me. People can be so cruel. And you know what? I'm 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 tired of it. I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm asking you here now, listeners, when you, please don't judge me for my yeah. accidental swastika. It's not my fault. I I believe that this is the perfect movie to to make that case for you. Yeah, exactly. What if your mutant power was that you constantly say racial slurs despite not being racist? That would be awful, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's you know potentially a lot of pain in the mutant community. Yeah, exactly. And they give you a name like Racisty or something. And you'd <laughs> right. have to, you'd have, that would be you your have name forever. You live with that now. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be like the most situational specific power when they're like, okay, 
we got to like there's a bomb in the in like this plane and we've got to save the plane from this explosion yeah. and the racist is like um is there anything i can do to help bleep bleep like bleep bleep yeah. bleep bleep like no racist you just yeah, no, stay it's in your, fine your, yeah it's fine you just put you just stay in there and one. try not to talk to anyone yeah it would be uh it would be hard to to involve him much he would it probably would. i would say he would probably stay home a lot that said, he still get his own miniseries in like two thousand, <laughs> like racisty. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'd read it, but I'd be like, well, I'm not sure how this is going. The the spinoff issue from Avengers versus X Men, um, yes, is very uncomfortable. Yes, it is very racist. Yeah, when he fights um uh, the Black Panther, it's not cool. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh boy, this was very ill advised. Nightcrawler has a shunt in the back of his neck. Which he shows yeah. off for basically no reason. He just kind of like rolls over and just gives him a look. And that is all of the explanation for why he was shooting up the White House that we are going to get. And we just have to live with that. The home invasion. So starting out, Wolverine is just walking around. He finds a kid with remote control eyes. Uh, Ridiculous. Who I think yeah. also goes unexplored. I would love to know more about that kid, what his life is like. Uh, and Wolverine finds Bobby eating ice cream. And here's where we get him using his powers for good, freezing uh, Wolverine's soda. Probably my favorite scene in the movie, and I'm not joking. There's yeah. something just so nice and cozy about that. It makes me really happy. And it's cute. Like, there was a yeah, bit of, like, well. awkwardness before where, you know, Wolverine feels very protective of Rogue, and now knowing that she has a, a boyfriend. But this is the thing. It's like... It's like with Cyclops in the first movie, like a thing that Wolverine does is create these like bro bonds with people. And it just makes him like super appealing, I think. I think it's quite funny that their conversation is essentially like, you smashing that, buddy? It's like, I wish. (laughs) Yeah. I can't smash that. It sucks. While this is happening, Professor Xavier is going to Eric's plastic box. He and Cyclops have gone there so they can have a talk. So Cyclops stays behind. Lorio brings Xavier into the plastic cell. On a plastic wheelchair, which I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where that. It feels like a custom item you probably have to bring with you, rather than something that they that they have on site. Xavier wants to talk to Eric about the assassination attempt. This is when we get that little backstory, yeah, which is not entirely explained. About Eric tells him like I've had visits from William Stryker, and he knows that Xavier was working with Stryker's son Jason once. Yeah, and Xavier wasn't able to help him. This totally cryptic line here, which. I don't get from Magneto where Xavier says like he wasn't able to help Jason and Magneto says, and now you think that taking in the Wolverine will make up for your failure with, with Stryker's son. Yeah. Very odd line. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible that it's beehive related. Well, it has no like relevance. It's just a very strange way of tying the emotional stakes to, to right. it, but they don't actually do anything with it. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like a, another subplot that they forgot about or just a, unusual line that was kept him from a late rewrite or something it's it's very odd yeah i mean jason and Wolverine have literally nothing at all yes. in common with one another except that striker is involved with both of them yeah yeah except for that yeah yeah <laughs> but it, it is no, odd. But yeah but no that but they don't like but wolverine doesn't know jason that's not like they don't have a relationship i don't think they i don't think they're ever in the same room together no i don't think so Eric is criticizing Xavier and saying, like, you haven't you haven't told Wolverine about his past. Xavier says he's still fragile. And Eric says, yeah. So are you worried about losing one of your precious X-Men, old friend? Which is a fine line. But suddenly there's there's dramatic music. And Xavier says, Eric, what have you done? 
Yeah, it's very strange. Which, I, I, I don't know where that comes from. It's it is odd. Maybe I, the way I took it is just they know each other so well that he can read that this, whatever he uh, says, alter, yeah. whatever into it. Yeah, but it is a very unusual. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Uh, wait, what did he gather from that? What's he? Is this is you're making a grand assumption here, Charles? <laughs> Turns out he's correct. Yeah, they start flooding the cage with gas. So Xavier's getting knocked out, and then yeah, where Scott is waiting, like Eureka comes in and she takes that plastic gun. She shoots at Scott and they do some nice fight work where this is where he gets to like use his powers and, and actually looks pretty cool sometimes. Yeah. There's a shot here that I just need to dive into where Yuriko jumps at Cyclops like she's an Austin Powers character. <laughs> yeah. From like a standing start, she somehow gets both legs into the air, wrap around his neck, and then she kind of just hovers there for a second looking at him. Yeah, and then and then she goes, is yeah. and and she like knocks him out with his legs. My challenge, Stuart, to you or yeah. or the audience is to go and look at that stunt and then explain to me what they were what they were going for. And then this is followed by the home invasion, where just an endless number of troops start walking into the Xavier Mansion. The kid with remote control eyes sees an intruder and says hi, and he gets shot in the neck. So these kids need better survival skills. And so Wolverine hears all this. He gets up. This starts to get pretty video game. Yes, it does. Yeah. There's a guy in the kitchen that Wolverine is is wrestling with who starts shooting off machine guns. Yeah. And their plan was not to kill anybody. I don't know why people <laughs> carry around machine guns in movies like when they're supposed to be sneaking around. Uh, in case they need to cover up the sound of something they're making. So they have to fire the machine guns off because it's so <laughs> right. loud that everyone just goes, hey, the machine gun is firing. Right. And doesn't think about what else they could be doing. You know? <laughs> I think it makes perfect sense. One thing that I wish that we could see here is just more of the kids using their mutant powers. Yes, agreed. It's it's very, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, so they, many, they don't, yeah. I don't think they totally undercook it. I think they do a decent job of it. But mm-hmm. I agree that they could, they should absolutely do that. Yes. But what I would love is, is just because some of the, you know, the kids kind of once they start, we start getting them to run around, they, they become basically just like generic kids. And I would love to see like, the version of home alone yeah where they're just using their crazy powers we got these kids running around wolverine starts killing dudes colossus turns into metal we get just a little bit of colossus here yeah which is nice yeah not enough not enough this is the one shirtless scene that they put in for me which i appreciate yeah but he doesn't do a ton except to just like gather up all of the generic kids and lead them out to someplace I don't know where they go with enormous shirtless Colossus to take care of. We never really, they never mention like Colossus is a very large and naked man. And so I guess, yes. I guess they'll be fine, but they don't say like where all those people go and what happens to them. They just run away and now they're not part of the movie anymore. So here's where Stryker gets to confront Wolverine for the first time. There are going to be several of these scenes. Yes. Where Wolverine's trying to kill people and Stryker basically just like introduces himself and starts giving Wolverine flashbacks. And so here's where we get the information that Stryker invented Wolverine or at least like gave him the adamantium skeleton. And I have a question about Stryker, which is why did he do that? Yeah. How did did that fit in? How would turning a mutant into a feral killing machine advance Stryker's goals in any way? Um, I guess because people will see the mutant and go, "Yikes! I'm, 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 I'm a mutant." 
<laughs> so he's just trying to freak people out. Yeah, I guess it seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wolverine wants to get more of this information out of Stryker, but Bobby decides he's going to use his ice powers to create an ice wall, which I think is great. Like that's that's one of the like you said, it's like the mutants who are main characters in the film, they actually do get to use their powers sometimes. And I mm. think that's a that is a very cool use of his power that he can all of a sudden create this huge thick wall. I think it's one of the I think it's one of the more iconic scenes in the movie. Maybe not completely earned in that, in, a, in a weird way, uh, but but I do like it. it. It's a very fun, a very kind of nice, weirdly sort of ethereal scene to have. Yeah. I think Wolverine runs out of the room. He's got three kids. He's got Rogue. He's got Iceman, and he's got Pyro. And now the four of them are going to run somewhere together. And now yeah. Stryker basically just takes possession of the Xavier Academy. So Colonel Stryker is now in charge of a school, and he is about to find out how difficult it is to be the headmaster of a private sleepaway camp for super mutants. <laughs> just wait till he finds out how much they spend on cleaning supplies alone. It is a budgeting nightmare. So that means this is the end of Act 1 of X2, X-Men United. I will be releasing Act 2 later this week, and here's what's coming up. And you see his face. He thinks killing cops is fun. And I, I have to say, he makes a solid case for it. Yeah, Ron, Ronnie's like, fuck this shit. <laughs> like, there's, there's home Invader. Home Invaders are freezing my drink. I mean, I, I, it's not ice tea season at all. I, I, I can't be having this at all. And then the fighter planes come in. Correctly. Finally. The rest of the world does something sensible. What I mean, funnier line, in my opinion, if he said, you know those dangerous mutants you see on the news? And then it was a really long pause. And then he said, the same thing that happens to everything else. There aren't, yeah, there aren't enough good roles for, for blue people in movies. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, there's the Smurfs, that's it. <laughs> All right, stay tuned for that. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been lots and lots of fun. I'll meet you right back here for Act 2 of X2 on the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. Thanks for listening. We're not here to hurt you. We just want to talk. Can't see house. Are you bored yet? Oh yeah.